0: Welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 178, For the Elect's Sake. Hello, I'm so glad you're here. Today we are mostly going to stay in the Joseph Smith translation of Matthew chapter 1, which is really Matthew chapter 24 through 25, it's really confusing, but I want to start with Mark chapter 13, verses 35 through 37. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight or at the cock crowing, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. I love the simplicity of that command, watch. Why are we commanded to watch? Why can't we just live righteously and wait and not pay attention? We're given the answer there. It says, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. We need the motivation we need the awareness we need the sense of urgency that watching brings so what qualifies as sleeping we get clarification in the joseph smith translation we are reading this week called matthew chapter 1 which like i said is a retranslation of matthew chapter 24 through 25 so know throughout this episode whenever i say matthew chapter 1 that is what i mean is the joseph smith translation Matthew chapter one, that's found in the Pearl of Great Price. In that chapter, we are given a lot of things to watch for. So I want to go over those things so we can remember so that we can know what we're watching for. And this chapter, of course, doesn't cover all of the signs of the times, but it gives us a lot to work with. And to me, perhaps points us to some of the most important things, because this is a prophecy given by the Savior himself. Let's start with verses three, four and twelve. The temple in Jerusalem will be destroyed. And this is what is also called by Daniel the prophet, the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation was fulfilled the first time in 70 AD when Titus with the Romans conquered Jerusalem, and it will be fulfilled again. The Savior gets more specific. He says, starting in verse 12, speaking to us, When you, therefore, shall see the abomination of desolation, so the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, spoken of by Daniel the prophet concerning the destruction of Jerusalem, then you shall stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them who are in Judea flee into the mountains, which this also happened the first time when Jerusalem was destroyed, where many faithful Jews fled into the mountains and escaped the Romans, and it will happen again. Let him who is on the housetop flee, not return to take anything out of his house. Neither let him who is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and unto them that give suck in those days. Therefore pray ye, The Lord, that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, which means that the city gates are closed. For then in those days there shall be great tribulation on the Jews and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, such as was not before sent upon Israel of God since the beginning of their kingdom until this time, no, nor ever shall be sent again upon Israel. All things which have befallen them are only the beginning of the sorrows which shall come upon them. And except those days should be shortened, there should none of their flesh be saved." But for the elect's sake, according to the covenant, those days shall be shortened, meaning the Lord will stop the destruction before everyone is destroyed. And that will happen not only physically with the people in Jerusalem, but it will happen spiritually. The Lord is not going to allow all generations to be spiritually destroyed by the wickedness on the earth. He will come before no one is able to survive. And how will the Lord stop that physical destruction of the people in Jerusalem? The Lord will descend from the sky and as his foot touches down on the Mount of Olives, the mountain will split into two and the remaining Jews will flee into the valley created and the Savior will win the battle for them, which I'm pretty sure will be pretty immediate because anyone who isn't spiritually ready won't be able to abide the presence of the Lord. And then the Lord will meet them in that valley and the remaining Jews will see the wounds on his hand and his feet and his side, and they will confess that he is the Christ. So this prophecy is the reason that I have so much interest in what's going on over in Israel. My ears always perk up anytime I hear about anything going on over there and I pursue that information. What is happening in Israel is a direct reflection of where we are in the timeline of the Lord's second coming. Now, of course, that doesn't mean we can predict exactly when the Lord is going to come again, but there's a reason we're given signs so that we can know that it's coming soon, that it's getting closer and closer as we watch these signs happen. All right, number two, the next sign to watch for is that many will come claiming to be Christ, a savior, and many false prophets will arise. This scripture can be misinterpreted, putting those false prophets and false Christ into the category of religion. But as we learn from the scriptures, the world's title in the Book of Mormon is the great and abominable church. The philosophies of the world has become the religion of many. Those false prophets may be a social media influencer, a self-help guru, celebrities, politicians, etc. And often the greatest tools of these false prophets is weaving truth in with lies. The truth will resonate with you and then the lies will twist. Or like Korahor, they flatter the hearts of the people. This is one of my favorite phrases in the scriptures, flatter the hearts of the people. They will make you feel like your natural man doesn't need to change. It will flatter your heart, that the natural man is not an enemy to God, that God doesn't expect you to change or to grow, that there's nothing wrong with the innate sinful desires and tendencies that come with being a part of a fallen world. In verse 21, it says, if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ. Or there, believe him not. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in secret chambers, believe it not. For as the light of the morning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, and covereth the whole earth, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, the coming of Christ will be seen by everyone, and will not be in private. Verse 22. For in those days there shall also arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if possible they shall deceive the very elect, who are the elect according to the covenant. Now, maybe some of those false Christs will actually claim to be Jesus Christ, but often they won't necessarily proclaim that they are Jesus Christ, but they will proclaim that they can save you. They will make you believe that your trust should be placed in them instead of the Savior, and it might not always feel like a religious context. Even if they don't outright say that, anyone who is making you believe that they can save you, that their philosophies can say you, is a false Christ. Anyone who is making you feel like you need to put your faith and trust in them is a false Christ, and they will deceive the very elect according to the covenant. Number three. Let's talk about a couple of signs to look for in the general population of the world. Verse 8, And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Elder Theodore Burton of the Seventy defined love waxing cold as personal selfishness. Does that sound familiar? If personal selfishness doesn't define our world, I don't know what does. Next, many shall be offended. Now, come on, you haven't heard of anyone being offended by the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? All right, number four prophecy to look out for. Verse 23 Behold, I speak these things unto you for the elect's sake. There's that phrase again. I love it. These things are said for the sake of the elect, not to scare us, but to warn us and to remind us that nothing is wrong, that this is always how it was supposed to be. And you shall also hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled for all I have told you must come to pass, but the end is not yet. This is my favorite scripture in the entire chapter. He is speaking of these things for the sake of the elect so that we need not be troubled because we will understand that all of these things must come to pass, including the victorious end. Verse 29. Behold, I speak for mine elect's sake for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. So wars and rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, there has certainly been a great uptick of that in the last year and a half, and it's only going to increase. And not only an uptick of that, but also with all the technology we have, we're just aware. So I think... I like to think at least that it's not just an uptick of those things actually happening, but it's an uptick of our awareness just because we have such access to so much information that we just, we know what's going on and it feels more intense to us. Now, the Lord doesn't give us any command unless he prepares a way for us to accomplish it, even if it's through the grace and enabling power of the atonement. Here, we are commanded to not be troubled. And actually I shouldn't say even if it always is through the grace and enabling power of the atonement as we trust in the Lord and obey his commandments and fulfill our covenants and do the things we've been asked to do, utilizing the atonement, as we mess up, as we are imperfect, it is possible for us not to be troubled, concerned. Yes. Actively engaged. Yes. But troubled, afraid might happen, but ultimately It is possible for that burden to be taken away from us. Number five sign for us to watch for. And now I show unto you a parable. Behold, wheresoever the carcasses, there will be eagles gathered together. So likewise shall mine elect be gathered from the four quarters of the earth. So this is kind of a weird one just because it's a little bit of an icky analogy, But basically, the carcass is the church, and the covenant people are the eagles. We are gathered to the church and are being nourished by it. Isn't it cool how this prophecy has unfolded differently than anyone could have possibly imagined it? Even if you were a prophet who got to see it in vision, do you think, I mean, maybe they were made so that they truly understood what they were seeing, but Maybe not. Maybe they saw it and they were like, oh my gosh, I don't even understand what's happening, but I know that it's happening. We aren't currently physically gathered, but through incredible technology foreseen by the Lord, inspired by the Lord, we have a living prophet that can communicate to the entirety of the church at any given time. We are gathered miraculously. That is a miracle just as grand as any miracle we read about in the scriptures. The gospel Penetrates the entire earth because of technology and ultimately because of the Lord. Elder Christopherson said, In ancient times, God took the righteous city of Zion to himself. By contrast, in the last days, a new Zion will receive the Lord at his return. Zion is the pure in heart, a people of one heart and one mind, dwelling in righteousness with no poor among them. The prophet Joseph Smith stated, We ought to have the building up of Zion as our greatest object. We build up Zion in our homes wards, branches, and stakes through unity, godliness, and charity. We must acknowledge that the building up of Zion occurs in tumultuous times, a day of wrath, a day of burning, a day of desolation, of weeping, of mourning, and of lamentation. And as a whirlwind, it shall come upon all the face of the earth, saith the Lord. Thus the gathering into stakes become for a defense and for a refuge from the storm, and from wrath when it shall be poured out without mixture upon the whole earth. Elder Christopherson then continues, reminding us that part of that gathering includes temple work, gathering all the dead, performing their ordinances so that they can have the opportunity to accept and become a part of the Lord's covenant people. He says While we strive to be diligent in building up Zion, including our part in the gathering of the Lord's elect and the redemption of the dead, we should pause to remember that it is the Lord's work and that He is doing it. He is the Lord of the vineyard, and we are His servants. He bids us labor in the vineyard with our might this last time, and he labors with us. It would probably be more accurate to say he permits us to labor with him. As Paul said, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. It is He who is hastening His work in its time. Employing our admittedly imperfect efforts, our small means, the Lord brings about great things. This great and last dispensation is building steadily to its climax. Zion on the earth being joined with Zion above at the Savior's glorious return. The Church of Jesus Christ is commissioned to prepare and is preparing the world for that day. All right, number six thing to watch for. Verse 31, and again, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come, or the destruction of the wicked. This one is for sure related to our previous point. The gospel is preached in all the world through missionary service and through the internet. That is a prophecy that is being fulfilled. And why the Savior says, for a witness on all nations, a witness is being provided. Everything will be more than fair. Number seven, verse 33. And immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. This can be literal and spiritual. Verily I say unto you, this generation in which these things shall be shown forth shall not pass away until all I have told you shall be fulfilled. Then he gives us some words of hope. Although the days will come that heavens and earth shall pass away, yet my word shall not pass away but all shall be fulfilled. And as I said before, after the tribulation of those days and the powers of heaven shall be shaken, then shall appear the sign of the son of man in heaven. And we actually don't know what this means yet. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. All right, those are the seven major signs that I identified in this chapter. I want to talk now about the parable of the fig tree starting in verse 38. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When its branches are yet tender, it begins to put forth leaves. You know that summer is nigh at hand. So likewise, mine elect, when they shall see all these things, they shall know that he is near, even at the doors. But of that day and hour, no one knoweth. No, not the angels of God in heaven, but my father only. But as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the son of man. For it shall be with them as it was in the days of which were before the flood for until the day that Noah entered the ark, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. So the portion that's talking about the fig tree, when the leaves are starting to come on the fig tree, you know that summer is near and that's a comparison to the second coming of Jesus Christ. As we see these signs happening, we know that it's becoming nearer and nearer. And you can tell if you think about how a tree gets its leaves, you can tell when it's a little bud When you can just barely see a little bit of green at the end, and then it gets bigger and fuller, the color gets deeper, it will be the same. As we see signs happening, we will understand that it's getting closer and closer and closer. But even though we're given these signs and we should be able to tell as we're getting closer and closer, why is it then compared to the days of Noah? In the days of Noah, the people mocked him as he prophesied the coming of the flood. They didn't think the flood would come. They thought he was foolish, wasting his time and his energy, and that their sin didn't matter. How dare he call them to repentance? Sound familiar? We live in the metaphorical days of Noah. We are constantly being told the sin doesn't exist, that it's all about our own personal truth and what feels true to ourselves. The world mocks those who bear testimony of the future coming of the Lord, of that metaphorical flood that is coming to destroy the wicked. The world mocks the necessity of returning to him with full purpose of heart, of submitting your will to his commands. Can't you guys feel it? We are accelerating at a breathtaking speed into lies, also into the second coming of Jesus Christ. But we are spiraling as a world into lies, lies that we as covenant people should never participate in, even to make other people feel more comfortable. Because ultimately, we know who the father of those lies are, and we must refuse to participate. Because God cares about sin. If he didn't, why send his son to pay for it? Would he send him just to save us in our sin? Clearly, there's something inherently wrong with it. Would he send him to pay for all that with no purpose in mind? That we aren't meant to change and progress? No, He sent Him to save us from our sin so that we can progress and improve, so that we can move on, have a change of heart, and become a new person in Christ, so that we can grow to hate sin, so that we can become who we are meant to become. I think we like to believe, because we are in such an advanced civilization at this point in history, that we are somehow beyond the days of Noah. We are no different. The world is making the same mistakes that they did back then. So, your job and my job is to make sure that we don't get caught up in it. Now, although there's so much doom and gloom in these chapters, there is also so much hope. The reason I entitled this episode, For the Elect's Sake, is because the Savior prefaces some of his bleakest prophecies in this chapter with a reminder that he tells us these things for our sake so that we can recognize what they are when they happen, so we can be mentally prepared, understanding what's going on and have the capacity to not be troubled because we have faith in Jesus Christ, who is already the victor, who has already won. It reminds us when we see those things that nothing has gone wrong. Let's read some of those hopeful verses. Verse 20, and except those days should be shortened, there should none of their flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, according to the covenant, those days shall be shortened. Verse 35, Although the days will come that heaven and earth shall pass away, yet my words shall not pass away, but shall all be fulfilled. Verse 37, And whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived, for the Son of Man shall come, and he shall send his angels before him with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together the remainder of his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Verse 11, he that remaineth steadfast and is not overcome, the same shall be saved. Verse 49 and 50, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom the Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. And verily I say unto you, he shall make him ruler over all his goods. Who are the elect for whose sake the Savior spoke? Those who when he cometh, he shall find doing. That is how we are a chosen people, by being someone who, when he comes, is found going and doing the things that he has commanded. And just for good measure, let's read what Nephi saw in vision happening to you in these days. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, beheld the power Of the Lamb of God that had descended upon the saints of the church of the Lamb and upon the covenant people of the Lord who were scattered upon all the face of the earth, and they were armed with righteousness and with the power of God in great glory. Nephi saw the power of the Lamb of God descending upon the saints, on you. I wonder what that looked like to him. Don't you think that the power of Jesus Christ is more than some imaginary magic? That power is real, and as we are found doing, we qualify for it, and that is no small thing. President Nelson said in his talk, Embrace the Future with Faith, We have so much to look forward to. The Lord placed you here now because He knew you had the capacity to negotiate the complexities of the latter part of these latter days. He knew you would grasp the grandeur of His work and be eager to help bring it to pass. I am not saying that the days ahead will be easy, but I promise you that the future will be glorious for those who are prepared and who continue to prepare to be instruments in the Lord's hands. My dear sisters and brothers, let us not just endure this current season. Let us embrace the future with faith. Turbulent times are opportunities for us to thrive spiritually. They are times when our influence can be much more penetrating than in calmer times. I promise that as we create places of security, prepare our minds to be faithful to God and never stop preparing, God will bless us. He will deliver us, yea, insomuch that he will speak peace to our souls and will grant unto us great faith and cause us that we can hope for our deliverance in him. None of us knows exactly what the future will hold for each of us individually. I am positive that some of the trials that we are going to experience will take our breath away. But I also have faith that some of the miracles we will experience will take our breath away and blow our minds. So the question for all of us is, how are we going to meet those trials? In the midst of those trials, the Lord has promised us that we need not be troubled. And for our sake, he tells us what to expect. What will he say when you kneel before him? Will he approve of how you used your time? of how you used the knowledge that you've been given to your advantage in order to access that power that you've been promised. Through the atonement, we all have the capacity to kneel before him in peace, knowing that we've done all that we can do and that he's made up the difference. Since the beginning, we have been given trials so that we can use our agency to choose. Our task is no different. We need to meet these trials that we were sent to earth to deal with. We were sent so that we might choose. And for your sake, the Savior has told you what is going to happen so that you can choose wisely. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.